As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, Chelsea produced their best performance of the season at Villa. Gallagher scores, Jackson scores a header, Enzo stays. Elsewhere, the women cruise into the Conti Cup semi-final and Eagles. Eagles everywhere. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Common. What the f***? We'll attempt to answer that and less profane questions during the course of today's show. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined today by two pretty stunned athletic writers. Liam Toomey's back with us. Liam, did that really happen? The change happened. It wasn't too late. <laughs> I mean, what a change. What a little tweak from Maurizio Pochettino. What a game, what a win. Dominic Fifield's back with us too. Concerned all of a sudden for Monday's game at Selhurst Park, I shouldn't imagine. What do you mean all of a sudden? <laughs> come on. <laughs> we haven't got anything off Chelsea since 2003. I mean, come on. Um, I'd just like to apologise to one of the correspondents on Twitter. Eeyore was indeed pre-booked today and therefore I am back on. <laughs> but with more to contribute, I would imagine, than a fictional character from a cartoon show. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll, we'll judge that on the basis of the quiz, which comes later. First, though, let's get some premature adjudications. Um, I've gone for Nonny is like that arrow sign, which means better than or over. Nonny over Sterling. I think that's one that we're going to see for the next few weeks now after what he did. Liam, what was your rash conclusion? Hot take, premature adjudication? My rash conclusion is that Enzo Fernandez and Moises Caicedo actually look quite good together when they're standing no more than 20 yards apart. Yeah, they could hold hands. It helped. Uh, Dom, have you got one for us? Um, that this is what happens when you thrust a load of brilliant young players or potentially brilliant young players together. They will be brilliant on occasion and then they will be awful on another occasion. And maybe we shouldn't react quite as ferociously as some people did at Stamford Bridge over the weekend when things don't go quite so well. Sorry, that's like the opposite of a hot take. That's like a dash of cold perspective. <laughs> what would Eeyore do? It's the wrong I feature. Mean, that's exactly what... Uh, Liam, of all people on this podcast, you know I commission bad features. 
that was more positivity than Eeyore would have offered. Uh, Chelsea had the bounce of Tigger. They certainly weren't Winnie the Pooh at Villa Park on Wednesday night. Let's talk <laughs> about the game next. He's had a good look at uh, Martinez's goal and it's into the back of the net from Enzo Fernandez, and it's an FA Cup corker. He wants everybody to know his name because tonight Chelsea have got Villa's number. Today is for sure why he's here and show the, the quality, but we didn't have doubt about, about him or about Caicedo or about different players, young players that are right here with expectation to win titles and to score in every single touch, you know. And I think it's so important what I told you yesterday about to to create a very good energy between our fans, with the club, with the player, because the player need help, need help from the fans. And today the, the fans were fantastic. With this connection, with this energy, and the, play, and the players on the pitch showing that care about the club and they want to win and they want to succeed, only good thing can happen. All right. I was feeling impish when I started the script for this pod on Wednesday afternoon. So I wrote the title as Aston Villa nil to Chelsea. What a fool I was slash am. Uh, Simon was there and saw an away win. Prepare your ears for an upbeat voice note, albeit <laughs> one sans atmosphere, because new headphones are difficult to master. OK, this is an unusual one for me. I'm recording the voice note after the final whistle, but also after the press conferences because of technical difficulties. I had a technical glitch on my first recording. It's probably the only thing that went wrong for me or anyone associated with Chelsea uh, on the night. Forget that DRB consolation goal in injury time there. Didn't really mean anything. So what can I say? I mean, this is... I feel personally rewarded, first and foremost. I've travelled to so many away games this season. And like many the Chelsea away fans as well rarely had much reward for it but this was Chelsea's best performance of the season you have to say certainly best result to come to a ground like Aston Villa who boasts such a tremendous home record they fielded a really strong team there was no hint of Emery going easy on Chelsea even though they've got other big games coming up of course Europe as well he wanted to win this game so for Chelsea to not only knock Aston Villa out on their own pitch, but to do so so convincingly, to dominate them, to outplay them, to be a team, to be together, it was very, very encouraging to see. And especially under the circumstances that, that the pre-match had been dominated by, talk about Pochettino's future, fan unrest, players, question marks about them. And... Yet Pochettino has stayed calm under incredible pressure and talked pre-match about how he had told his players he still believed and trusted in them. And he was rewarded with a team that actually really played for him and perhaps eased some of the speculation that can happen under these circumstances that he's lost the dressing room. Uh, this was the complete antithesis of how Chelsea played so poorly against Wolves on Sunday. And people will now ask, well, where has that been? And can they 
do this on a more consistent basis. There is the very proud stat that despite Chelsea being seen as this awful team and underperforming team, they are the last London club in both domestic cup competitions. So it just shows the standards of Chelsea that they can still be criticised, and rightly so, for the season they're having, and yet still be doing the capital a lot uh, prouder than perhaps some of the other clubs. I think, um, as I'm talking, the Chelsea coaches are leaving in front of me. Ellison's, uh, got to give a shout-out to Matt Davis-Adams, favourite uh, coach company. They're right in front of me, about to drive off, and I bet it's a really happy coach for the players to be on. They've got a FA Cup fifth round to look forward to against Leeds, but more importantly, they've got a chance to kick on again this season. The cup competition's giving them new life once more. They will have to prove themselves again this month alone at Crystal Palace, but more notably Man City in the league and Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. But things are a little bit brighter. And uh, before I finish off, as the coaches now drive out of Villa Park, don't think I can see any players... uh, gesturing uh, rudely at me but um, I'm sure they are behind the tinted glass you have to give a shout out to the goal scorers Conor Gallagher finally ending his goal drought which stretches back nine months I think it is 34 games he went without scoring for Chelsea but you wouldn't have known it with the way he put the ball in the net Um, then of course Nicholas Jackson scoring with a header of all things he never looks comfortable in the air but he took his chance well and then Enzo Fernandez with a beautiful free kick with 106 million, you might say. And Pochettino was very passionate when I asked about Fernandez in his press conference about Fernandez and why he reacted in his goal celebration like he did, reminding the fans that he is human. Of course, Fernandez, like Casado, recently deleted his social media account, perhaps because supporters have been. Uh, taking some of their frustrations out on them. Well, you certainly answered in great style. And if we see more of that kind of Fernandez, then I doubt he'll be getting as much stick as he was before. But uh, okay, that's the buses uh, heading off, and uh, it's time for me to do the same and reflect on actually seeing Chelsea win not only a game, but a game away from home. Yeah, really good to hear Ellison's with a resounding victory over Birmingham International travel there. Something I think is interesting, Dom, uh, that was noted by Simon, is that Villa started with their strongest possible team here, right? That was a bit of a surprise to me. We'll talk about Chelsea and how well they did, but I was kind of expecting Unai Emery to rotate a lot. And had that been the case, we would have couched what we were saying about Chelsea's performance. But this was a proper Villa team who'd lost twice at home since February of last year. So they Chelsea basically beat the best side they could have faced at Villa Park on Wednesday. Yeah, and and Chelsea should take huge credit for that and the way they performed on it. I think I think I mean Villa. Yes, yeah, it's their strongest available team probably, but it's not their strongest team. I mean the defense has been severely depleted of late, and I think since Lenglet came into the team, their results have been patchier. So Chelsea were able to exploit that, but it was about the Chelsea performance, and I think that's what surprised Villa. The dynamism and the the energy and the aggression all over the pitch from Chelsea. Eclipse them. I mean, once once Chelsea had scored that goal and got over the little wobble, 
immediately afterwards and they hadn't conceded the swift equaliser, they just grew and grew and grew into the contest until it was well beyond Villa. And, you know, Villa will cling to the sort of late rally and the flurry of chances they created at the end, but the game had long since been over by that at that point. It was a, a really, really encouraging, defiant and energetic performance from a young Chelsea team that has got bags of potential. Talk to me about the significance of the win, Liam. I know it's only one result in isolation, but it was away from home. It's not the kind of, you know, that home form that we were pinning all our hopes on, which was wins against the likes of Blackburn and Sheffield United and Preston and Palace. Sorry, Dom. This was more significant or are we in danger of inflating its importance? Well, I'll start by telling you what it's not. It's not a turning point. We can't talk about turning points for the group this young. The average age, as the excellent Lee Parker tweeted last night, 22.8 years of that starting 11. So consistency is the last thing typically that young players learn. There will be more bad days for Chelsea individually and collectively. But what it is, is a reminder of the talent in this squad and a reminder of what these players are capable of doing. And that reminder couldn't have been more importantly timed, I don't think. Not not just because it keeps Chelsea in the FA Cup, when I think after the, after the first game heading to Villa Park, not many people would have given them a chance or a big chance of, of going through. But after those last two games against Liverpool and Wolves, the whole mood outside the club, even the the mood really inside the club after those two performances. I think everyone needed a reminder that there is real talent here. There are at least the raw components to build a serious football team. And I think Pochettino really helped that with his selection and the way he set the team up. But that only goes so far. I think we'll talk a lot about the the selection and the way it all worked together, but that only goes so far. There was also the energy and the application from everyone all over the pitch. And that was for 90 minutes. We haven't often seen that for 90 minutes this season. I think Chelsea have had games where they've been really good for 60, 70 minutes. And then I think they've conceded a higher proportion of goals after the 75th minute than all but one other Premier League side. can't remember who it was. It might have been Palace, Tom. Uh, I need to double check oh, that. But they're, they're too high on that list. So... And of course, they conceded a late goal here as well. But um, I thought for, for for 90 odd minutes, they were in control of the game. They really built on their control of the game. They were ruthless with, with their chances, which you can't always guarantee. But they were really cohesive and controlled and they and they really wanted it. Yeah, that was obvious. Uh, we got loads of tweets into you at Asso Cobb and Pod. Let's run through a few. Joseph says, Simon's optimism inspired the team to victory and it should be Petrovic's job to be in goal for the rest of the season. Andy says, why do we need to be that bad in order to be that good? Forget tactics. That's the standard they've set themselves now in terms of commitment and attitude. Andrew says, just a coincidence, we put in our best performance of the season after high-profile, underperforming veterans were dropped and young players were empowered? Question mark. Enzo and Caicedo put on a show. Imagine if Poch rips all this up to bring back Silver and Sterling. Matt wants to know, are we all the way back? Feels like we're all the way back. And Michael says, that was brilliant. Still got nervous when they got a goal, though. Uh, Dom, 
was that a performance that showed Chelsea are, are behind their manager as a team or is that not really a thing? Was this more just about the organisation of the side and the execution of the game plan than any kind of want to prove that they are pro-Poch? That's a really good question and, and we, we're not going to know the answer really because, you know, the players aren't going to be revealing that to us, I wouldn't have thought. I just think the way that the those two results, the Liverpool and Wolves, Wolves games are gone, probably created, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but a, a bit of a siege mentality about the place. You know, the vitriol, the abuse was was so audible on Sunday. The focus, the limelight that, that has been, the, the glare in which Chelsea have, have lived this week was was reminiscent of, you know, previous deep crises at the club. And I just think that the, I think it, it, I don't think that's galvanizing. It wasn't an extra motivation. I just think that all of these players have got plenty to prove anyway. They all want to go out there and show how good they are. They don't, you know, they don't want to be weighed down by the transfer fees, the expectations. They, they are a free spirited group of young players that want to go and show the world how much talent they've got. And they did get a platform from this. I mean, Pochettino did thrust them all together and say, go out there and express yourselves. And 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 that will have helped them, definitely. But I think they probably all got their inner motivation anyway, just to go and show everybody what they can do. I don't think it was really, we're doing this for the manager or we're doing this, you know, because people are chanting for Roman Abramovich or, you know, the, the owners are getting a load of criticism. I, I think it was more, these guys are, are a new team that's been thrust together. They want to show that they can... They can live up to the hype because they have. There is hype around all of these guys, all of these players, to a certain extent. Young, talented, potential, raw, but you know, with really high ceilings potentially in all of them. So uh, this was just an opportunity. And uh, and actually, you mentioned it in the tweet there. It is fascinating to see what what Pochettino now does because I I don't know whether Pochettino dropped Thiago Silva because of the tweet. I don't know whether. He dropped Thiago Silva because he wanted to liberate all these young players and put them out there. I don't know whether he dropped Thiago Silva just because Chelsea played on Sunday and Thiago Silva is 39 and they had a game on Wednesday. So what happens with Thiago Silva on Monday? Because if you see that performance, it would be crazy, particularly going to a team like Palace that don't have an awful lot of hope or confidence at the moment. You'd want to be going there and swarming all over them. And this is the team that can do that. I don't think necessarily having Thiago Silva in there, Raheem Sterling in there, provides the same level of threat, but we'll see on Monday. So Sterling and Silva bench for this one, Liam. Talk me through the the tactics of the game and, and how Maurizio Pochettino surprised Unai Emery and I think all of us once we saw not so much the team sheet, but the players and how they'd lined up on the pitch. Yeah, I don't think he... I mean, he didn't surprise with the formation, it was four two three one, kind of four four two out of possession, which is loosely what Chelsea have been all season. There have been some minor variations to that, but that's the the general framework of this Pochettino team. What what was different was the personnel that was picked and what that allowed the team to do. So because he had Badia Sheel and, and Dizassi, the Monaco alumni together at centre back. You've got two mobile centre-backs. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to play high, but situationally in the game, if you drop deep, they're still big and strong enough to clear balls out of their own box and, and defend that way, but they can push high and defend on the front foot. 
when you have the opportunity to to pin the other team back. And we saw that as Chelsea grew in confidence, particularly after the after the second goal, after the Jackson goal, they spent long stretches in Villa's half. And having Badia Sheil and Dizassi enabled them to do that because apart from one incident that resulted in a John McGinn shot shortly before half time where Badia Sheil got rolled by Ollie Watkins from a corner, Watkins wasn't in the game because he, he couldn't use his running. But there was no one to target. Dizassi and Badia Sheil are both mobile enough to to handle that. And then you had two natural fullbacks, which I don't think you can hold against Pochettino for not doing more this season because he hasn't had the option. He's now actually got two fully fit fullbacks. I'm I'm still not sure whether Chilwell and Gusto are in a position to give you 90 minutes at full power and then give you 90 minutes at full power like three days later. But for this game, they were ready. And the attacking defensive thrust they gave Chelsea was really important. They were also really protected by two wingers that, at the risk of sounding like Jose Mourinho here, were prepared to defend as well as attack. I don't think we've always seen that from Chelsea's wingers this year. When the ball goes past and they don't necessarily protect their fullbacks very well. Madueke and Jackson, and I suppose Jackson was the biggest personnel surprise that he started on the left rather than up front. But that was his original position at Villarreal. And he's very, very comfortable out there. He and Madueke worked really hard to not allow Villa's fullbacks to overload Chelsea's fullbacks. And I think it happened once that Moreno got down the left and, and caused Chelsea a real problem while the game was competitive. And then in midfield, I mean, we've already seen this many times when, when Chelsea don't have the ball. That that two-headed monster, pressing monster of Cole Palmer and Conor Gallagher is just horrible for any team that wants to try and pass out of the back because they cover so much ground. They're so intelligent with the positions that they take up, the angles they cut off, and they work really well together now. They've been on the pitch enough together that they, they're they a really good pressing team. And they were crucial, I think, in Chelsea generating so many high-value turnovers in the Villa half. And that really ignites your attack and makes everything look better. And then, of course, in midfield, I don't know why Pochettino had moved away from this because this is more of what we saw when Enzo, Caicedo and Gallagher first started playing together in the autumn. You had Gallagher functioning as like a pressing 10 and the other two really close together. Enzo, I don't know whether he prefers playing ahead of the ball. I don't know whether he wants to be higher up the pitch, but he's better and he's more valuable to this team on the ball rather than in front of it. And having him close to Caicedo, I think it, it got Enzo on the ball more and made him more influential, even aside from his brilliant free kick. But it also meant that when Chelsea did lose the ball, which is always going to happen, you don't have Caicedo alone in front of the defence with 30 yards of space either side of him. He's just been in an impossible position in the last few games and Chelsea have looked hopelessly open, in part because the balance of the midfield has been all wrong. So I think... Um, it just looked really cohesive. There were no massive gaps between the lines. Of course, there were individual mistakes and failures of execution at times during the game. You're always going to get that. But overall, they executed the plan really well and they were set up in a way that made sense and caused Villa real problems. Uh, Dom, was that Crystal Palace, Conor Gallagher, that we saw on Wednesday night? The, the goal kind of had shades of it, didn't it? 
boy, that was overdue for him. But his general kind of pressing and I mean, that's something that we've seen a lot for Chelsea, but it felt like there was a bit more to the performance all round than there had been certainly in recent weeks. A bit more purpose, a bit more belief. I think he clearly benefited from having the the partnership behind him as well. And with Cole Palmer there as an outlet. Yeah, you could say that. I suppose that the, the comparison is easy to make just because he scored and he was relatively prolific at Crystal Palace when he was on loan there. At Palace, he was coming in off the right really effectively um, in a in a three and 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 contributing as a sort of you know those late Lampard esque type bursts into the box, which I guess you could is pretty much what he did for, for his goal. It was a nice little up play and, and a very little. Intelligent layoff from Noni Madueke and 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 a precise finish into the top corner. But look, he's he's got that in him. He's got the goals in him. We know that. And Chelsea, it says a lot. Chelsea haven't been able to coax them out of him. But um, maybe one will give him the belief to to kick on now. Sorry, just one other thing to flag: both of Chelsea's first two goals don't happen if the winger on the opposite side to the play doesn't crash the box because Madueke is in there to lay the ball off to Gallagher and then for the second goal, Jackson is in a central area to head in Gusto's cross. So take notes, Mikhailo. <laughs> yeah, Madueke was absolutely exceptional. Uh, Nicholas Jackson got the second then. Congratulations to him for becoming the first player in the history of the Football Association's Challenge Cup to score a goal with his cheek. Uh, brilliant ball in from Gusto. Uh, talk me through that Enzo free kick though, Liam, because I mean, I'm not sure I've ever seen him take a free kick for Chelsea. We've seen him try those 25-yard howitzers in every game and they normally end up in, in row Z. I don't know if, if maybe he knew that Emi Martinez had a weakness, but the best goalkeeper in the world, which I guess is Emi Martinez, wouldn't have saved that. Absolutely brilliant strike. Every goalkeeper has a weakness in the top corner of their <laughs> net. <laughs> every goalkeeper in existence has that it was quite a funny dynamic because I'm sure Martinez has faced a few of those free kicks in Qatar around the World Cup in training at least and it was it was a throwback for me to what was for most of us our introduction to Enzo Fernandez at the World Cup which was him scoring that incredible goal off the bench against Mexico cutting inside and bending the ball into the far corner rather than the near but we know He's got that kind of shot technique. He just hasn't really shown it at Chelsea. It often feels like he's been snatching at chances. Some of his longer range attempts have been a bit speculative. I don't know how great he is at, you know, just powering through the ball like Lampard, Gerrard style with his laces, but he's he's got that ability to, to bend the ball uh, with his instep. And yeah, the technique was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it, in some ways, it was a it was a perfect position for a free kick because it, it was far enough out that you can get the ball up and over the wall without having to put it too high. It wasn't a foul, though, by the way. It wasn't a foul. If that's being given as a foul, that's an utter joke. I mean, he, if anything, he <laughs> kicks the fella behind him. And then there was a there was an even bigger foul at the other end. John McGinn was was clearly taken out by Caicedo and there was no free kick given. So work that one out. I'm glad. I mean, obviously... To have seen that and to to have witnessed the, the, the free kick, you, you're sort of glad that the foul was given, but that was not a foul. The difference is that, tell me if you think I'm wrong here, Liam, that McGinn got a shot away and Enzo didn't, and that's why one's given as a free kick and the other one isn't, right? 
McGinn's shot went wide because he couldn't he couldn't have a he didn't have a standing leg well literally didn't have a leg to stand on because it was taken out from under him it, it, there, that was a, a brazen inconsistency of the refereeing well there's there, there's two things there one thing is the thing I hate most about football I think is the <laughs> is the the thing that's not written anywhere in the rule book here's the commission here's the commission <laughs> It's the thing that's not written anywhere in the rule book, but for some reason, every single referee follows that if you get a shot away, anything can happen to you after the ball is gone and it's not a foul. You can be killed. No foul, play on. <laughs> you can have a limb lopped off, but if you've managed to get a shot away, it's just restart. I've never understood it. I can't really remember the, the McGinn incident now, but the other thing is that Enzo free kick incident, I always find those ones really hard to judge because they never look like anything. When you're pulling your foot back to shoot, it takes almost nothing to throw your foot offline. And then there's the argument of should that player be in your space? I don't know. I don't know really what the right answer to that should be. It Should that opposition player be penalised for being that close to you? even if your limb is the one moving. I don't know. This is probably really boring for people to listen to, but it, it's one of those funny situations on a football pitch. Yeah, the, the reality was it was a wonderful free kick. A wonderful free kick. Yeah, amazing free kick. And also, without it, we wouldn't have got the Conor Gallagher reaction shot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Which in a lot of ways is the best moment of the night. Uh, let's finish with this one from Zaid. I'll put it to you, Dom. Were the fans and pundits too quick to write off Poch? Arteta struggled in his first season at Arsenal too. Can't we just let Poch finish a season and see where that takes us. That, that's got to be the course, right? I mean, obviously this result has brought him some credit, but regardless of what happens in the in the League Cup final or from this point on, you've got to give the guy the full season and then assess. Yeah, I, I'm a bit of a stuck record on this because I think with virtually every, even under the under the Abramovich era regime, I, I, I always argued for giving people time. It's way too soon. Too many players thrust together too much expectation and such a difficult task. Yeah, I mean, he's not the same as Arteta, really, because, you know, significant sums have been spent on this on this team, but they've been spent with a long-term, a long-term strategy of some kind in mind. And it's very rare that you get a long-term strategy that also provides you with, you know, tangible short-term rewards. Chelsea have actually got a chance of doing that. They've got two domestic cup competitions they can win this season, which is... Pretty remarkable, really. And I, I completely appreciate it. it's all being played to a backdrop of, you know, 19 glorious years under the previous owner uh, where Chelsea became something very different to what they'd been previously. Uh, and that is what Pochettino, that's what the owners, that's what these players are having to contend with um, because the fan base are used to competing well. There are other issues, obviously, with the ownership that the fans complain about have a lot more sympathy with a lot more sympathy but in terms of Pochettino uh, yeah he needs time he needs time to get this to work and I think the, the owners have probably learned from what happened with with the sacking of Potter and how things didn't exactly finish well after his dismissal either I mean it was a pretty ropey eight defeats in 11 games or something under Lampard so so they've probably learned from it as well and, and those those assessments will be made in the summer yeah, and Arteta finished eighth in his first season as Arsenal manager and he benefited, I think, quite a lot from the fact that that ended up being the lockdown season, which um, took a bit of the heat off him, certainly, on match days. All right, so it's Leeds at home in round five. That'll be a quiet night in at the library. Not. 
I don't think so. Uh, Wednesday, the 28th of February for that one. Next, we're going to talk about Chelsea against Crystal Palace. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, so this is on Monday night. It's the third of a triple header of games for the Blues against Palace at various levels this weekend. Uh, Liam, before we get Dom's expertise on Roy Hodgson's team. <laughs> I haven't got much to ask you about Chelsea for this game because in terms of we normally go, oh, what changes would you make to the team? The answer to that has got to be none, right? If everybody who started against Villa is available, surely you're picking them from the off for this match. Yeah, and you would think there's enough time to recover. There were some suggestions that there might be an issue for Badia Shield when he went off late. I don't know. So we'll see what happens there. It could be that Hotch is forced to go back to Thiago Silva in the starting lineup. Uh, and that changes the nature of things a bit. But I don't see why you'd want to make many changes to this team, if any. Not just because of the the physical aspects, you know, that recovery isn't really an issue, but also because I think you want to send a message to this whole squad that a performance like that has to be the aspiration every single week. And if you're if you're a part of producing a performance like that, you earn the right to stay in the team. I don't know. Uh, Pochettino is a more experienced managerial mind than than me in terms of human psychology, but I would feel like that that's quite a good precedent to establish within the squad that this was our best performance of the season. These eleven players were responsible for it. They've earned the right to to keep those places until they show otherwise, or until inevitable injury hits. All right, then, Dom. Make everybody listening feel good and yourself feel bad and tell us a bit about the state of Palace. Two wins in 14, disquiet at the board and at the manager, star player injured. It's not looking great, basically. How are you feeling going into this one? Well, it says everything that I'm disappearing to the Lake District to avoid <laughs> it like the plague. I mean, that's a very negative spin on two wins in 14. It's actually two wins in four league games if you, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> um, but that said, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a mess at the moment. Elise, who we spoke about at length earlier this season and is very much Palace's main man, is facing two months out with a, another hamstring problem. Eberich Chiesa, who's the other player that's contributed all of the goals of late, it's him and Elise, the only people who are scoring, really. He's probably out as well. He aggravated a hamstring problem in the, the win over Sheffield United. The team is a shadow of its former self without Chick Decore marshalling in midfield as a defensive midfield shield. And he's he's ruptured his Achilles, so he's probably going to miss the rest of the season. Adam Wharton, the kid that they signed from Blackburn, came on as a substitute. 
at Brighton. So this would presumably be his first Premier League start on Monday. So that's a big ask for him to come up against this Chelsea midfield. They lack for goals. Mark Gay could be out as well. He went off injured with a knee problem at Brighton in a in a four one defeat there, and may be out for Monday. Uh, and yeah, there's there's disquiet amongst the ownership in a, in a. Well, actually, I I mean that's 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 interesting in itself because as a Palace fan, watching what's been happening at Crystal Palace at Sellers Park with the with the protests. Uh, the lack of investment, the 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 lack of planning, and contrasting that with with Chelsea spending a billion pounds in a plan that you can have your doubts about, but they do have some kind of plan by the look of things. Uh, there's a contrast there completely, and yet the fans of both clubs for a while, maybe Chelsea not so much now, but the fans of both clubs were pretty disgruntled. This was at one point going to be the mutinous London derby of the of the season, and it may well still end that way. You never know. Roy Hodgson is beleaguered. There's a lot of lot of fans want want him out now. I have a huge amount of sympathy for him personally. I think he's been sold an absolute pup this season. Palace have effectively gone into this season without replacing their their greatest player in their history, and they expect the fan base expects progress. The squad isn't big enough. It's not deep enough in terms of quality. I think there's a a real chance. Although at the time we're we're talking now at eleven o'clock on. On Thursday morning, and Roy Hodgson is due to give his pre-match press conference at one thirty this afternoon. I still think there's a very good chance that Roy Hodgson is not in charge of Crystal Palace on Monday when they take on Chelsea. All right, Liam, give me a prediction then. Who's going to win this game? I mean, I think Chelsea will. They certainly should, particularly if if Pochettino sticks with the bulk of the team that produced what we saw against Villa. It's so dangerous expecting anything from this group week to week. But it's important that they win this because after that, they've got the annual misery trip to the Etihad to take on Manchester City, which I'm on again. I'm glad to have that assignment (laughs) again. To be fair, Simon's clocked up the miles in the last few weeks, so it is definitely my turn. But to circle back around to this game, Chelsea need to maintain not just some momentum of results, but they need to build on that performance to keep things in a positive in a positive direction. So I think they, they can win. I think they should win. Um, I'll go 2-0. All right, we'll take that. Uh, the women's team made it through to the semi-finals of the League Cup in their first game of this season's competition. They skipped the group stage because of their involvement in the Champions League. They beat Sunderland 5-0 on Wednesday night. Sjurka Nuskin and Frank Kirby bag braces with Aggie Beaver-Jones also on the score sheet. And meanwhile, the Blues have been paired with Ajax in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Chelsea, the only English side left in the competition. The quarterfinal first leg in Amsterdam is on the 19th of March. The return is a week later at the bridge on the 27th. Uh, should Chelsea beat Ajax, they'll face the winner of the tie between the holders Barcelona and the Norwegian side Bran in their semi-finals. So basically, Liam, they're facing Barcelona again, who knocked them out in the semis last season. He beat them in the final a couple of years ago. But as Millie Bright said, channeling her inner Ric Flair in reaction to the draw, if you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. Woo. You do. Uh, the choice increasingly in recent years has been do you want to play Barcelona over two legs or one in a knockout tie or in the final and it it doesn't feel like there's a good option there 
And this is still a large chunk of the Spain team that beat England in the World Cup as well. So it, especially without Sam Kerr, they're going to be massive underdogs if they get there. The, the priority for now just has to be make sure you get there. Yeah, let's deal with Ajax and then worry about Barcelona is probably the best thing to do. Uh, FA Cup action for the women this weekend. They welcome Crystal Palace to Kings Meadow. That's a 2pm kickoff uh, if you want to go along. And news just in, Lauren James has been named as the WSL Player of the Month for January. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s also play Crystal Palace in the Cup. The FA Youth Cup in this instance is a fifth-round tie. It goes down tonight as we record. The under-21s have a league game away to West Ham on Friday. That's at 7pm. You can watch that live on the Chelsea app with me if you like. All right, we'll do a quiz next. Uh, here's a tweet from @boyyounger who says, my hot take is that the quiz is absolutely necessary. I equate the buzz around potentially cutting the quiz to the buzz around potentially selling Connor. Why would we remove something that embodies the essence of the crest? It ain't always pretty, but it brings life and character. Sounds like the quiz is surviving a little longer uh, based on that listener interaction, which we greatly appreciate. All right, this is kind of... Well, it's not kind of. It is Chelsea Crystal Palace related. Uh, Liam, you're up first. Who made his first start in the reverse fixture? Uh, who made his first Chelsea start, I should say, in the reverse fixture? Uh, so that was December. 27 deck. Was it in Kunku? It was in Kunku, and you're off to a flyer. Well done. Well done. Uh, Dom, here's your first question. Name the two former Chelsea players who lined up in defence for Palace in Chelsea's 3-2 lockdown win at Selhurst Park in July 2020. Uh, Gary Cahill would have been one. Yes, and I totally forgot that he played for Crystal Palace. Uh, the other ex... Oh, Patrick Van Arnold, I presume he was still there. He was, yeah, very good. Um, Cahill got injured. Yeah, he ripped a hamstring yeah, just in the build-up to the goal. It, wasn't it? Yeah. I think Chelsea played on despite their former player lying on the floor screaming in <laughs> agony in an empty stadium. They just played on. They played on out of respect for his achievements at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> yeah, he played a whole Champions League final with a snapped hamstring. It's fine. Uh, Liam, here's question number two sure. for you. Which future Crystal Palace defender was booked in Chelsea's 6-2 route of the Eagles in 1998? What was that like, game? In the press box. 
Sorry, so this is a, a defender who was at Chelsea who went on to play for Palace. That is correct. In 1998, got a yellow card and a 6-2 Chelsea win. Palace were leading in that game. Um, Herman, Herman Horizon scored. It was great. 1998. <laughs> nice to hear Herman Horizon get a shout out on a Chelsea pod in 2024. Oh... Trying to go through the 98 squad. Um, Wasn't Darren Barnard? He left by that point. No, no. That was was a PB post Barnard. (laughs) (sighs) Gonna have to hurry you. No, that was too early for him. Scott Minto. Do you want to steal it? I don't know. It was Danny Granville. Danny Granville. Danny Granville. Absolutely cracking free kick for Palace once against Millwall in a 1 0 win that made him a cult hero just instantly. Danny Granville, who I saw play in the last Chelsea Legends game alongside John Terry, John Obi Mikel, and many other leading lights, Michael Essien. Used to be an occasional co commentator with me on Chelsea TV. Very Mm -hmm. nice feather he is, too. Danny. All right, so second question for you, Dom. Whose own goal settled the game in Palace's favour as the Eagles beat the Blues 1-0 at Selhurst in 2014? John Terry. He's flying at the moment. It's 3-1. Didn't even take a breath to answer that one. Final question for you then, Liam. So you need to get this and then get Dom's. Uh, Conor Gallagher plundered a stoppage time winner at Selhurst Park last season. How many goals has he scored since then? Oh... Is it just the one? Tom? Well, it, it's more than one because he scored last night and he'd scored... Did he score against Brighton or something like that? So two, I'd say. The answer was three. So three, neither of you got the point there. It was Brighton at home and Bournemouth away last season. Oh, of course he scored at Bournemouth, didn't he? Yeah. yeah and yeah. at Villa this. Okay. So, Dom, you've won, but... You're not going to get this question right, so that will just take the edge off a little bit. At the 2002 World Cup, Maurizio Pochettino fouled Michael Owen for the penalty that saw England beat Argentina in the group stage. Or did he dive? Well, that's 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 uh, another podcast. At that time, Roy Hodgson was manager of an international side who didn't participate in that World Cup. Which country was he in charge of? 2002. Uh, I think Roy had a stint in the Gulf. Would it have been around then? Um, I can't even remember which team he was. It might have been oh, something like that. 2002. Yeah. UAE. We're going to have to start seeding this or doing random drugs tests, I think, Lucy, because... Who knows that Roy Hodgson was manager of the United Arab Emirates in 2002? You're right to shake your head, Liam. I mean, I have, like, interviewed him, like, six times. <laughs> <laughs> but he's had about 1,500 jobs. I don't know how you could... Anyway. Which current international manager, then on Crystal Palace's books, was at that 2002 World Cup? Ooh, 
which current international manager then on Crystal Palace's books was that that 2000 is it is it the chap who's just got Ivory Coast into the final Hemisafe you know you're outgunned when the person you're competing against starts their own quiz <laughs> after winning <laughs> who is it Dom do you know Liam of course I don't it was Greg Behalter. Okay, we could have been here for a long time. Don't even remember time. him playing for Palace. <laughs> no, not me. We forgot to mention before the quiz started, but because I stepped in to do the pod <laughs> as a late substitute for Simon, that officially goes on Simon's record. Yes, it does. And I, I probably wouldn't have put a question in there about 1998 uh, had I written these originally for you, Liam. So there is mitigation there, but Dom, it's a... It's another victory. We'll call that Palace's only win against Chelsea this weekend, shall we? I, f- I fear it may well prove to be the case, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to be, you get to read all of Liam and Simon and everybody else's great work on there and all the stuff that Dom commissions. It's well worth your money. At SO Cobb and Pod is the place to follow us on Twitter, now known as X. Uh, give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. That always helps us out too. Because Chelsea are playing on Monday, we'll be doing our next show on Tuesday so that we can react to that. So join us for that if you can. Until then, have a great weekend. Bye for now. The Athletic.